0: Welcome to the Well Community Toads. Welcome to the new series, Seize the 167, Following God Every Hour of Our Week. Uh, So for those of you who are good at math, you'll quickly realize that there's 168 hours in the week, so why the 167? And that's because my heart behind this series that God's been putting on me is... I want us as a church, and for those of us who make up the church and embody the church and prioritize the spiritual discipline of of attending church, I want us to figure out how to continue to be the church beyond the one hour a week we set aside to gather as the church. So I kind of got this idea from a guy named Brady Shear. He's down in Niagara-on-the-Lake, and he works with a lot of churches. He has a company, Pro Church Tools, and he's always talking about seize the 167, and seizing the other 167 hours a week. And he's looking at it from a social media perspective, but I thought, we should be looking at this from a church perspective, not just social media, although that has its, it ha- has its layers and we'll, we'll touch on throughout the series. But how can we be the church beyond just the the one hour that we gather together here on the weekend. So we just celebrated Christmas. I hope you guys had a fantastic Christmas and a great New Year's. It was uh, nice to be away last weekend. Amanda and I got away kid-free down to Toronto, and I heard uh, Charlie did an awesome job preaching here, and I'm so thankful just for that time away and the support from the leadership team to have that time. Um, But sometimes Christmas it gives us this weird sense, because we we go through these Advent series and the Christmas series, and we develop this sense of awe and wonder and excitement, and we're kind of inspired and impressed with the ways God chose to be among us, but then as soon as the date passes on the calendar, we're kind of left scratching our heads saying, okay, we built this up, and, and God's with us, God's present with us, but... Now it feels the exact same as it did before. And I know even myself and and my family, we we wrestle sometimes with feeling sad on Christmas Day because you're so excited for it. There's so much anticipation for it. You're preparing. And then Christmas Day finally comes, and it's kind of like, oh, what? It's already over? And this year was also difficult too. Uh, As I mentioned, my sister-in-law, Chelsea, she was... Uh, taken to the hospital on Christmas Day, she was released a few days later, and then unfortunately she had to go back into the hospital on new year 's day, uh, so that landed on both the holidays and uh, that 's where sometimes Christmas is that weird season because it passes on the calendar, but the hard things are still hard, and we 're still in the midst of winter and the the longer days the darker days and Sometimes we're left scratching our head thinking, is God with us? So for this series, where God's put it on my heart, is the book of Acts. This It's kind of... It started with the idea of seizing the 167, the extra hours beyond just when we meet. And then I kind of said, okay, God, where do we need to ground this? And he really put on my heart the book of Acts. And I believe the reason he put the book of Acts on my heart is probably because the Advent series that we just went through, is, we, I've primarily focused on the gospel of Luke. And Luke is the author of Acts. It's kind of like part two. It's the sequel. And actually theologians today refer to the book of Acts and Luke as Luke-Acts. Um, It's not so much separated as though it is in our scripture. We have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. They're actually together, so it's uh, kind of this cohesive whole and this continuation. But what I love is Luke's desire in both his Gospel and in the Acts of the Apostles is to not let us be mere spectators of Christmas, or mere spectators of Jesus, Because I think that's the trap sometimes at Christmas is we build up this excitement and we celebrate the birth of Christ and we're impressed and we might even be challenged to imitate him just a little bit. But does it actually transform who we are and how we live beyond the church walls and into our week? And Luke, his desire is to prevent us from becoming just mere spectators, or either enthusiastic spectators. But rather, he writes to us to draw us into the narrative. He writes to us to let us know that this new thing is happening and we're actually invited to be part of the play, of the story, and of the narrative. And he shows us that the story of Jesus hasn't ended. And in fact, it continues to live on in the lives of those who believe in Jesus. Acts is a story of movement, of motion, of progress. It's people being caught up in something that's larger than themselves. And it simply must expand and stretch and go. But not just to get us to go to church, but so that we would be the church and continue to be Jesus' witnesses and go to the very ends of the earth to go to our homes, our schools, our workplaces, the coffee shops, the libraries, wherever it is God might place us to go there and to proclaim his good news. This is what I mean by seizing the 167. So raise your hand if your 2019 went exactly the way that you had expected it. It was smooth sailing, nothing caught you off guard, nothing overwhelmed you. Yeah. (laughs) I wish it went that well. I wasn't expecting Landon to break his arm the night before school. It's like, really? You see, it's a strange tension that we live in. This, this idea of celebrating Christmas, and as the calendar passes, nothing seems to have changed. There's still an unexpectedness. And while we know that God's with us, we still grapple with not knowing what the future holds. But we are a people of hope. And as I've been digging into this study, I've just been reminded time and time again of the hope that we have. Because we believe and we know that God's presence in our world does make a difference. And better yet, I do believe that Christmas helps remind us and anchor us in the reality that God has been here all along. But if this is true, has it changed how we live? Has it transformed us from the inside out? Is it shaping the 167 hours of our week beyond when we gather on Saturdays? Are current patterns leading us to a greater devotion to Jesus? That's the question we have to wrestle with. I'll be the first to admit that I've gone through the motions of Christianity. I grew up in a Christian home, so at a small size, I began wearing my kevin Size suit and tie. Sometimes I'd get caught slipping the Game Boy in the coat pocket, um, I learned the right things to say and do on the Sunday mornings. And Then, if you were a good enough kid, then you'd go to Swish LA for lunch, then go home for the afternoon nap, and then go back in the evening service, where at least that service you got to wear jeans. So it was always kind of a bit more like, yes, it's more comfortable tonight. But you, you kind of you grow up in this environment, and you learn how to play the part. And in fact, I would often tell people one funny thing. I, I would go to Sunday school, And my Sunday school teacher never understood why our Sunday school wouldn't grow, why we didn't want to invite our friends. Well, the reality was, if we didn't invite our friends and it was a small group, he would give us motorbike rides, he would take us to Tim Hortons. But if it was too big, he couldn't do those things, so we actually had to have the Bible study. So we're like, we don't want to invite our friends. We want to go on the motorbike. So that's peeling back the layers a little bit there. But you learn how to go through the motions. You learn how to kind of put on the performance of what a good Christian looks like. And in fact, as I got older, I I kind of felt the the need that I I should probably learn how to play the guitar because the people on the worship team, they had reached a new spiritual level that I just wasn't at yet. Um, People would look at them and say, okay, they must be spiritually mature because they've reached this point. Essentially, we're being programmed sometimes to not follow in the way of Jesus, but to put on a good performance for others and kind of toe the line. And as long as I was showing up and saying the right things, doing the right things, it was assumed that I was growing in my relationship with Jesus. I was becoming a mature follower, whereas I knew in my heart I wasn't. I was kind of just looking at my friends like, what are we doing this week? And, but in fact, it wasn't until I was 24 years old when I surrendered my life to Christ. It was the New Year's morning of 2007, and I was three sheets to the wind, and Jesus grabbed a hold of my life and said, are you going to follow me? And it was just a clear-cut answer, and I had the choice of saying yes or no, and I felt in my heart that, yeah, I've got to fix things. And that's when I surrendered my life to him, cleaned up my house, kicked all my friends out, and sold everything and moved to B.C. And the reason I share all of this, though, is because I want to drive this point home. Jesus didn't come for us to go to church. He came to set us free, and he calls us to be the church, Jesus didn't come to this earth and live a blameless life and die a brutal death and prove himself as Lord over death by resurrecting himself three days later just for us to go through the motions of pretending to be a good Christian. And as we dig into the book of Acts, we're going to see that Jesus has actually begun and and is inviting us to join him in a revolution, a movement like no other. And it's not something that we can just sit on the sidelines if we're actually believing it, if we understand it, if we're saying, I follow this. If this is true, we have to ask ourselves, has our relationship with Jesus transformed how we live every hour of the week? If we're actually stepping into a new movement and a new revolution, is it transforming everything we do, or are we just going through the motions on the weekend? if it hasn't transformed who you are from the inside out, you might just be a spectator. Someone who's impressed by Jesus, but not fully surrendered to Jesus. But let me tell you from the bottom of my heart that if this is you, you're missing out on the greatest adventure of a lifetime. Absolutely. I've been asked recently, actually just last night I was even asked this question, do you love what you do? And hands down, I have to say, 100%, absolutely love it. I couldn't do anything else. Now, sometimes I will say it'd be nice to be a teacher, because Amanda's a teacher. We'd have vacation, pension, uh, the whole hoopla. Not to belittle teachers. You guys do an amazing job. (laughs) But I feel so called to the role that I'm in and you don't have to be a pastor to experience this, that Jesus transforming you. God's placed you where he's placed you, and he calls you to where he wants you to serve his purpose. But I've experienced myself the inner transformation and even outer miracles of the person of Jesus Christ, and I know that he's called me to participate in this way in sharing his story, that I just couldn't do anything else because it would just frustrate me to no end to not be able to do what I do. So if you have your Bibles with me, we're going to be digging into the very first chapter of Acts. And I want us to tap into the power within the Word. And as I've been digging into this, I kind of thought this was going to be just maybe a four or five-week series. I, I actually believe we're going to be journeying through Acts for quite some time and kind of settling into it. And it excites me because I feel like a lot of our series since we've started as The Well has been, have been quite topical, which is great, but I really feel the sense of let's dig in to this book. Let's understand what's actually happening. Let's join in the revolution so we'll probably take some breaks in between. We won't just be doing like a 52-week series. I don't even have it all mapped out, and I'm just trusting God. But as we're going to see, I believe that Acts, it kind of leads that whole thing. It's, these disciples don't have it figured out either, and they're just kind of putting one foot in step of the, in front of the next, and the Spirit empowers them and guides them accordingly. But the very first chapter of Acts... I'll start in verse 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Now, side note, Theophilus, it's figured that he's sponsoring Luke to write this, and this is kind of who Luke is addressing it to as his sponsor. But verse 3 says, During the 40 days after his crucifixion, Jesus appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So the end of Luke ends with Jesus' resurrection and his ascension into heaven. So now Luke's kind of doing a bit of an overlap, kind of like a quick review just before. So we're back at Jesus resurrected after his death, burial, resurrection, and just before his ascension again. But what I believe jumps out in these first three verses is that we need to get ready to expect the unexpected. There's so much packed in here, even in these first few, few verses, but one thing we'll continue to see over and over again as we journey through Acts is that even though Jesus only appears on stage, if you will, for the first nine verses, as we'll see, the whole book is all about Jesus, and all about what he's continuing to do and to teach. And it begins with the unexpected. It begins with the physical presence of Jesus. And why is it unexpected? Because they thought Jesus was dead. They had just witnessed his execution. They witnessed his death. They saw him tortured, and everything they thought they knew had just been flipped upside down. So they had gathered together, to support one another, encourage one another, talk about what just happened, what to do, what are we gonna do next. And Jesus appears among them, proving himself to be fully alive. The resurrection of Jesus has begun a new revolution, and there's no going back. Now, one thing with Jesus being able to kind of appear and disappear, it sounds a little ghost like to us maybe someone a little less embodied. But I believe what Luke's getting at here is that Jesus' risen body is more than ordinarily embodied, not less than. And what I mean by that is Jesus' transformed body is now the beginning of God's new creation. Heaven and earth are coming together in a new way, the beginning of a heavenly reality that is fully at home here on earth. God is with us. So in verse 4, Luke continues on. Once he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. I love the message translation here. It says, uh, timing is the Father's business. I just love the simplicity of that. But it says, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There's a subtle difference between authority, which is all God's, and power, which will be given. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I like to call this next part, active waiting. Because, He's telling them, don't go anywhere. Wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which I've promised you. Don't leave Jerusalem. And this is important advice. Jesus tells his followers to wait for this to happen before they try and do anything too much. Because I think far too often, we assume that we know a little about Jesus, we know a little about God's kingdom, so we go off and we try and put things into action however we see fit. And you can even pick up on it with the disciples as they're kind of saying, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They're still thinking in this nationalist perspective, saying, okay, you're about to give us the power here. We're going to have the upper hand overthrow Rome. Like they're, they're thinking of it in terms of worldly power. The, the, the disciples still don't get it. They're kind of asking that age-old question, are, are we there yet? and they're missing the point. What they don't realize is that Jesus has overcome violence. Violence is the strongest form of power that our world has. But Jesus has the power over death. And that's pretty amazing because the one who has overcome violence is the one with all power in his hands. But he's not sending the disciples... He's not sending us out to be representatives of empires, of nationalism, but rather we're to be witnesses to divine presence. We're announcing a revolution, but it's not any ordinary revolution. This is a revolution of an intimate God calling to the world, and he's inviting us to be his witnesses. So throughout the book of Acts, we'll continue to see that Living in step with the Spirit rarely, if ever, allows us to go where we want to go. The same is true for the disciples. The Spirit always seems to be pressing them to go to those whom they would, in fact, strongly prefer never to share space with, never to share a meal with, definitely not life with. This is why Jesus tells them to wait. Because immediately they're thinking, okay, we're part of this, send us, we're going to go do a great job for you. And God's saying, no, 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 you just wait. Wait for my power. Jesus tells them to wait, to pray for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in order to find their calling and their energy from the true source, the source of God himself. So, how do we actively wait? It's a bit of a paradox. Well, the more you're in Christianity, you realize there's a lot of paradoxes. But as I'm learning more and more, many things can be true at the same time. What I mean is, we are deeply loved by God, and sometimes we don't even know what that means or the kingdom of God is happening and it's not here yet. Love and grief, hope and lament, moving forward in faith and waiting, all of it is true. But no matter what, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, when God's presence comes upon you, God is with us. He wants us to share that good news with everyone. One recent uh, comment that kind of took me aback a bit back in December was our sponsor church. I sat in on their uh, staff meeting one day, and they're at the very beginning stages of a building project. And they've had this church, I think, for about... 10 years, and it's going to kind of be an expansion on. And the person who's heading up the building project told the staff, he said, it's going to be a difficult build, harder than the first time. Because the first time, it was about our seats. This time, we're building seats for people who aren't even here yet. And it kind of just blew my mind. I was like, wow, how profound is that? And I've heard other pastors and authors say it, that the church is the only organization that exists for non-members. Like, our movement that we're part of isn't just for our seats. It's to reach people who aren't even in these seats yet. And I just love the picture of that. So in verse 9... Luke goes on to say, after saying this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of a half mile, which is about 0.8 kilometers, Canadian conversion. But here we have an aspect of Jesus and his kingdom that we don't often give a lot of attention to, and that's his ascension. Of course, we talk about resurrection, and I think we probably kind of slide his ascension into the resurrection talk. But we don't give a lot of attention to the ascension because I think it's hard to comprehend. You see, it's easier to talk in terms of time and temporality and to kind of think about when Jesus was living, um, talk about Jesus' resurrection, the time he'll come back. In terms of time, we can get our heads around it a bit more, But what Scripture says here, I find fascinating. That he was taken up into a cloud, and later on in Acts 7, we'll see that he sits at the right hand of God the Father. But I believe what it's getting at here is kind of this spatiality that Jesus' ascension... Brings about this idea of the space in which Jesus inhabits, where he is, and where he also moves into the spaces of our lives. So even in seizing the 167, it's a very time focused message. It's 167 hours. And to think of that in time blocks, we can say, okay, where's God within my week? And am I following God within my week? But it's another thing to be paying attention to the spaces that God is filling in the midst of that time. And here's what I mean. These disciples are left at this moment looking into the heavens concerned by the absence of Jesus. Thinking he was just right here and now He's gone, but they're suddenly reminded to look forward to where God is present, not where he was, but now where he is, and it's not maybe physically manifest right in front of them, but now it's coming about in this new way. You see, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was moved deeply when we had our time of sharing at our um, dips and desserts. Uh, Brianne and Gary both shared, and, and you guys did an awesome job, and I loved what you guys had to share because it wasn't anything <clears throat> phenomenal. Like, it wasn't these miracles that happened throughout the year, but they were just sharing where they saw God throughout 2019, and it was just in the simplicity of the everyday things and in the people who God brought around them and in, in their kids and grandkids And I just loved how simple and real that was. But I think sometimes where I struggle is when I see God in a certain place and I've experienced God at this place, I want to almost build a monument. I want to stay there forever. I want to experience there forever. And I think it's so easy to turn into this monument thinking that I forget to join the movement of God. Because God is still moving. So last year, I saw God work in so many incredible ways. I was at the Soul Care Conference in November, and God took me to depths I still don't understand, but at the same time, there were were these areas where I just saw him alive and active, and, and I love being able to reflect back on that. But you know what? God's not still over there. And it'd be easier for me to cling to that and try and recreate the moments and stay there. But God's continuing to move on ahead and he's saying, Kevin, catch up with me. I'm moving on. So rather than focusing on just where God was, I believe what scripture is showing us is that we need to continue to keep our eyes open to where God is. Sometimes we can just say, but God was right here. I just felt him in the last situation. Or this is where he was. Where did he go? And we miss looking around and just seeing where he's present. So next time, if you're starting to feel like you're losing that and you're kind of like, oh man, like I really want to hold on to this, fight the urge to build the monument. Don't try and do things exactly like last time. Don't try and recreate the experiences. It's kind of like what I talked about even with our Christmas experiences. Sometime we try, sometimes we try and hold on and recreate these perfect Christmases, but each year things change. But what we're called to remember is that Jesus is calling us to be part of a movement. Building monuments is kind of like going through the motions, like I was talking about at the beginning where we want everything to be just right, we package everything like so, we put God in a box, and we know exactly what to do and say in order to ensure our sense of stability, but we become mere spectators of Jesus when we do that. When we become spectators of Jesus, we miss out on the most incredible life-giving, life-changing, life-transforming, victory over death, resurrection life that we're invited to participate in. I remember reading one author, this was years ago, but he said, he was talking about the revolution of the resurrection of Jesus, and he commented that one of the major issues facing North American Christianity is that each weekend at church, we, he, we sing, we hear a talk from a pastor, we get back in our cars, we drive home, the garage door opens up, we drive in, the garage door closes. And he asked the question, is this the revolution that Jesus had in mind as he was dying on the cross? And that just stuck with me because that's the life I had been living for so many years. But we're called to action. We're called to movement. Movements are greater than monuments. Now, I believe that going to church, it's actually become a spiritual discipline, I believe. Just like other spiritual disciplines, it's important that we practice it and we cultivate it because it encourages us, strengthens us, brings us together around the one who it's all about, Jesus Christ. But it can't stay there. It can't just be one hour a week. Don't let this be the extent of the revolution, of the movement. We're being invited to participate with God and the kingdom of God every hour of the week. The vision prayer that we have as a denomination reads like this. It says, oh God, with all our hearts, we long for you. Come, transform us to be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, mission-focused people, multiplying disciples everywhere. We need to be people of faith who will yield to the spirit in the present moment. But it requires us to get ready to expect the unexpected. It requires us to actively wait. And it requires us to move beyond monument thinking and step into the movement of God. So the question that we have to face is do you believe this? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? And are your current patterns leading you to greater devotion to Jesus? Are your current patterns moving you forward? Are you serving, inviting, giving, and helping to make new disciples, new followers of Jesus? People who aren't just impressed by Jesus, but who are becoming aware of God's redemptive work among us and choosing to commit to the way of Jesus. True discipleship is not measured by how much you know. It's measured by how much you love, and how much that love flows out of you into the lives of others. So do you have a love for others, like the love Jesus has for all of us? So my challenge tonight Is first, if you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, if you haven't said, yes, I surrender myself completely to you, receive the gift of his spirit by accepting him as Lord and Savior. Just make him first. In the quietness of your heart, just simply pray, God, I admit I've been going my own way. I need to make you first. By saying, I believe who you say you are, that you're the son of God, that you're living and active and just... And I'm going to commit to following you. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be perfect. But I'm going to do my best with your help. Then secondly, I want us to take a moment to reflect on where you saw God this past year. It might have been in an unexpected circumstance. It might have been in how he provided or the people he brought into your life. But just take a moment to think about it and thank God for it. And then, I think this is the most difficult one. But ask God to show you where he is present in your life today. The Soul Care Conference that I mentioned a little earlier, the one line that really stuck out to me is, he kept telling us, I don't want to hear about some experience you had with God 20 years ago. I want to know how your relationship with Christ and your life are intersecting today. It's not always an easy thing to realize where Jesus is present with us today. But that's what I love about seizing the 167. So my take-home challenge is for you to take 167 seconds each day, so that's just shy of three minutes, asking God to show you where he's present in your life. And some of you might be able to answer it immediately. And others of you, you might have to follow the disciples and wait. And that's okay. But as God shows you, as you see him, thank him, but also follow him. As we continue to lean into Jesus, look for where he's present in our midst. And you'll notice, or at least my desire is that we will become a people of hope, people of help in the world that seems to be filled with more and more hate. You see, we'll never change the world simply by going to church. We'll only change the world by being the church. So this week, let's seize the 167 until we gather together again.